love it. If you got a Bible, you can open up to First Peter chapter three. Peter chapter three. I uh, before we read, I just wanted to say, uh, man, thank you to uh, all of our school administrators, teachers this year for for a good school year. Uh, I hope you parents made sure your kids knew how blessed they were that they got to go to school all year. Uh, I try to remind my kids that of every night, how lucky they were that, that we, we were in a district that, that we were able to go to school, we were to, to be in person this year. I think that was a very, very big deal. Uh, and so I think our administrators deserve a round of applause. Our teachers deserve a round of applause for that. So if y'all don't mind, let's do that real quick. Thank you, guys. There's a big deal. Very big deal. And so summer's here. So I'm excited. Uh, if you would, please stand as we honor the reading of God's word. We'll be in First Peter chapter 3. Uh, let's read the first seven verses. This is what Peter says. He says, likewise, wives, be subjects to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day and for all you've given us. Uh, I thank you for this text of scripture, and uh, I pray today uh, that first and foremost we would see the gospel in this, uh, that, that we love because Jesus first loved us, that, that the idea for marriage came from the gospel, and so therefore our marriages are to be shaped and molded by the good news of what Jesus has done, so it has to start there. But then secondly, I pray that our men today would realize that so go the men, so goes the church. Uh, and we live in a time where too many churches are filled with weak, cowardly men. And so I pray that this church not be one of those. And so I pray that we would uh, be challenged today as men. And that, uh, that, Father, you would help us to be convicted where we need conviction. And that we would repent of, of areas where we're falling short of how we need to be leading. Uh, and that we can leave here changed and we can leave here different. Uh, again... All this is about Jesus, and so I pray that as men, we would try to be like Jesus, that Jesus is our example, that Jesus is our model, and that we would look to him, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. And be seated. All right. So last week, we, we, we talked a little bit about how Peter's writing to a group of people um, that were, were just suffering some, some local minor persecution and mainly in the fact that that where they lived they, they were like so many of us throughout history uh, because of their Christian beliefs they were being ostracized or, or they were being made fun of or they were they were kind of being uh, looked on as different because of the way that they live and so Peter writes this letter to them saying that hey that's a good thing that if you're a believer in Christ then you are different that you're an elect exile and so that your conduct in this world is differently and he lays out several areas of life that our conduct is to look differently. And one of those areas is, is in marriage. 
And so what he said was, is that wives were to be subject to or submit to your husbands. And so what Peter shows us is that there's a structure inside of marriage. That husbands are first and foremost to submit to the leadership of God, then lovingly and humbly, sacrificially lead their wives. And then wives submit to their husbands as their husbands submit to God. And what we said was this, is that submission simply means that God will hold your husband responsible for the marriage. Right? The, the illustration that, that I used was this, is if Jesus comes to your house and ladies, you answer the door, he's going to look at you and say, I'll deal with you later. Where's he at? Right? And you're going to go, well, he's in there on the couch doing nothing. So, right, you're going to take him in there and that's what's going to happen. Right? And what he says is that if your husband doesn't know Jesus, that you are to live in such a way that he sees the gospel in your life and that your husband can be one without a word. Now, we said that this isn't easy, that it may take time, that it may take a, a whole lifetime, and it may not happen, but we're to lay the gospel before our husbands in the way that we live. Now, it doesn't mean that we never speak. It doesn't mean that we never tell them about what Jesus is doing in our lives. It just means that we pick our spots. Right? It means that we're not a nag. Right? And we talked about that. The scripture has a lot to say about that. And Peter encourages wives to cultivate an inner beauty of gentleness and quiet. This inner beauty of lovingly, gently supporting and encouraging your husband. And I love what he does because he points to the great women of the Bible. He says, hey, look at Sarah. Look at the way that she honored and, and served her husband. In other words, he's saying, hey, if you are a part uh, of, uh, of the body of believers, that if you're a Christian, you're caught up in this great story of what God is doing, this great plan of redemption. And if God has made you, if Jesus has made you right with God, then that should lead to a change in behavior. That should lead to a difference in the way that you conduct yourself in your home. So live out the gospel in front of your husband as you submit to him. Now, as we turn to verse seven, I know a lot of women are like, golly, we get six verses, guys only get one, right? Verse seven, there's a lot there, right? Peter speaks very briefly, but listen, he speaks very forcefully to the men. So look at First uh, Peter chapter three, look at verse seven again. So he says, likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So again, that word likewise there is pointing us back to chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Let's look at that. Peter says, for to, to, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. So like we said last week, the Bible never starts with you and what you should be doing. It always starts with God and what he's done. So he goes back and he says, men, likewise, remember what Jesus has done. Go back and look at the gospel. See how Jesus has humbly and sacrificially lived for you, that he laid down his life for you. And so because he's done that, then therefore you lay down your life for your wife. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5.25. Jay read this at the beginning. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's pretty straightforward, husbands. Love your wives. 
And notice that's an active command. It is not a passive command. It means that we don't love our wives by doing nothing, that we love our wives actively. So if we're going to love our wives like Christ loved the church, how do we do that? Well, very simply, we start by loving them first. We start by loving them first. First John 4, 19, it's the gospel. We love, why? Because he first loved us. See, Jesus did not sit back with his arms folded and say, well, I'll do this for you, I'll die for you, I'll do all these wonderful things for you, but first I need you to do all these things for me. Then I'll love you, right? So if you'll perform, if you'll do all the right things, then I'll die and then I'll love you. That's not what Jesus did, right? No, despite our failures, our dysfunctions, despite our sins, Jesus loved us anyway. So listen, when nothing in your life warranted his favor, he loved you. He loved you so much that he carried your sin to the cross and he died for you. That's what leadership is. So in other words, men, are you doing the same for your wives? See, I believe that the command to love our wives is a hard command because to love our wives, as the Bible commands us to, we have to do that unselfishly. And that means we love them without expecting anything in return, which is the direct opposite of how most of us men do things, right? So say we get in a fight with our spouse and let's say that most likely you're 99.9% .9 to blame, right? And you finally work up the courage and you say, hey baby, listen, I'm sorry for my 99.9% .9 of what I did. And then most men, this is what we do. What about your 1%? Right? We, we expect it. What about this one? All right, ladies, you can, you can amen me. They've been grouchy. They've been horrible around the house for weeks. They've been just a joy to live with. And all of a sudden, one day, you come home, and they're in there vacuuming. Right? They ain't doing it because they're unselfishly going, hey, I want to love my wife. Right? They're thinking, it's been a while. Right? You can catch my drift? Some of them are maybe in their boxer shorts, Woo. right? Or maybe you come home, they're washing dishes, and you're like, why is your shirt off? And you're washing dishes, no reason, right? Yeah, see, some of you have done that, I know. See, the command is to love your wives regardless of her response. That is how Jesus loved us. He loved us even when we didn't return that love. And listen, he continues to love us in spite of the fact that we so often do not return his love anyways. See, our love for our wives is a result of the gospel. So we love them like Jesus loved the church. So we have to stop right there and say this, is if you don't know Jesus, if you've never trusted in him, then you can't live this out in your home. And so some of you men, you don't know Jesus, and before you leave today, we need to get that taken care of, okay? Because your marriage will never be everything it could be until you trust in Jesus, all right? So that's where it starts, is with what Jesus has done for us. So men, if we love Jesus, we love our wives the same way, all right? So look at 1 Peter 3, 7. Again, he says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, all right? So, so to live with them means to dwell physically with them. Right? So if you live with them, that means you've got to be in the same house to live with them. 
Okay, so you dwell with them, you live with them in an understanding way, but it is also pointing to the fact that there's also a physical aspect to the marriage, okay? Right, a certain amount of lust got every one of you in this room married. Right, I'm not, I'm I'm serious. You didn't get married going, well, yeah, just gonna live in the same house with them forever. Be all right, just be a good friendship. That's not why you got married. He said that sex is a big part of the marriage. So two things, ladies, some of you need to stop being so cold towards your husbands. Very simple. Don't be a refrigerator. That's what that means. Second though, and more importantly, it means men be there. Be at home. Be present. When you come home, you don't get to check out, just kick on the game and do nothing for the rest of the afternoon. No, it means when you get home, you say, hey honey, how can I help? You need to be available around the house. When you get home, that's second shift, all right? It doesn't end until those kids go to bed. And listen, you start doing some of that, be available, be present at home, let's go back to the physical thing. Some of that'll change at home whenever you get your head out, okay? That's what it means. And he says this, that you live with them, and then he goes on to say, in an understanding way. That means you become a student of your wife. Know your wife. Know what she likes. Know what makes her tick. One of my favorite quotes was is that a reporter one time asked Mrs. Albert Einstein if she understood Dr. Einstein's theory of relativity. And she said, nope, but I understand the doctor. That is great advice, gentlemen, right there, right? Understand her. Get to know the things she likes, what makes her tick, those things that she loves, all right? In my home, it's very simple. My wife likes jewelry, she likes all those things, but if you wanna win her heart, you get her something practical, all right? If it plugs in, you're good, all right? Boy, I got her, I got her a griddle for Christmas this year, right? Woo! That's a good Christmas, right? Hey, there's a young man at the back door that's trying to get in if uh, one of my deacons would, yeah. Um, one side you can make pancakes on, the other side you can make bacon. It's really good, right? Yeah, absolutely, right? It's a win-win. I, I win too. I get Brenner a lot, right? It's breakfast for dinner if you didn't know. That's what Brenner is. Um, I bought her one of those uh, robot vacuum cleaners one Christmas too. That was a good Christmas too, right? That was a good Christmas. Except it didn't work last night. Like I woke up this morning and I said, your vacuum did not run. So maybe, maybe she's working right now. Who knows, right? Listen, so many of us will memorize stats and figures, right, of our favorite sports teams, right? Jordan was 6'6", Pippen was 6'8", Rodman was 6'7". Like I know these things, Okay. You know everybody your team drafted this year, okay? I know who Cowboys got, right? It ain't looking very good for us there either, but we, we tried. Beefed up the defense a little bit. We know those things. We will spend months researching the best pickup or the best hunting gear, and we spend very little time getting to know what, getting to, getting to know what makes our wives tick and understand them. See, this is what, what Peter's getting at, right? And so that you live physically with them, there's a physical aspect to them, but then you get to know them. You try to understand them, what they like, their interests, and you pursue them and you go after their heart, right? Verse seven, look at it again. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And then look what he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Show honor to your wife. So ladies, hear me. Bible is not anti-woman, right? Get on Twitter today and, and what you're gonna find out is that everybody thinks the Bible's anti-woman, even people that at one time I thought wouldn't think the Bible's anti-woman, they think it's anti-woman now. 
It has a high regard for women. So he says to honor them. That, that ladies, you are to be honored and valued and treasured by your husband. This word honor carries the idea of chivalry, right? Of opening doors, of giving up your seat, tipping your hat, standing when they come in the room, right? Those sorts of things. And listen, because of feminism, we're losing this, right? I, I, had, a, I had a good buddy. His sister-in-law lives out in Los Angeles, all right? So do the math. She came to Lubbock to go watch the Red Raiders play. They got on a bus after the game. It was packed. Several men get up to, to give her a seat, right? Because there was nowhere to sit. And she just threw a fit. Like, I just can't believe they think that I'm so weak. I mean, on and on and on we go, right? Because of feminism, we're losing this idea. But all it means is to show honor to them, is to care for them, to treat them the way they deserve to be treated. So since most of us men are not very smart, myself included, I'm going to give you six ways to honor your wife today. I'm going to be very practical for you as men today. Six ways that you can honor your wife. First off, honor her physically. Honor her physically. Peter says she's the weaker vessel. So listen, this doesn't mean mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. We all know that's not true especially in spiritual aspect. Most of the time, women are the reason that the doors to this church stay open. Women are the reason that anything gets done around this church most of the time. I'm just gonna leave it right there. What it means is, is that physically, women are weaker than men. And it's just a fact. That's just how God made us. So what that would mean is that husbands, whenever you fight, do you give her that one more word out of your mouth and I'll hit you, look. Do you intimidate her and the kids? And do you get in her face? Do you threaten her? Do you, do, you, do you hit her? Are you that guy? See, what Peter would tell you right here is that if you're doing any of these things, you're not a man, you're a coward. That's what he's saying. Is that you're a little boy. That men should honor and protect their wives. That your wife should always feel safe and protected around you. That your wife is precious fine china and she should never, ever, ever feel scared to be around you, ever. That's what Peter's getting at. So I mean, you, you honor her physically, but then second, listen to this. You honor her emotionally. And here's the problem. A lot of men say, oh, I'm not emotional, right? I'm tough. That's a lie, you are too emotional. Right? I'll give you a great example. It's Friday night, right? We're all sitting up there in the stands, okay? And since you were such an amazing football player in high school, right? I mean, you were incredible. Like, if people could have just seen you play. If they had game film on you back in the day, woo! Right? Coach makes a call on the field, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, come on, I wouldn't have done that! Can't believe he ran the ball right there. I'd have thrown the ball. <laughs> right? You're sitting at home during football season. You got your sandwich on your beer belly. Something happens on the TV and you're screaming at the professional football coach, right? Because once again, you're amazing. You see everything from your 42-inch TV or whatever it is, right? I can't believe they would make that call. You get emotional. Go out to the golf course this afternoon and watch some of these boys. You shank one. There's not one of you going, well, I hit that kind of poorly today. No, you're screaming. Not one of you. Someone comes up to you after church and calls you a liar or questions your integrity. All of a sudden, you have a whole lot of emotion, don't you, men? 
It's a bunch of bull that we say we are not emotional people. So what this means is that your wife needs you to connect with her emotionally. Too many men turn their marriage into a job description. I provide, she takes care of the home, that's it, that's how we do things. Then when the wife files for divorce, the man goes, what do you mean you want a divorce? Like, I didn't hit you, I didn't yell at you, I provided for you, you have a good woman. Yeah, sure, maybe you did all those things, but you didn't love her. You, you didn't connect with her emotionally. You were just there. Gary Chapman wrote a book years ago, and a lot of you have read it, and it still holds up to this day. It's called The Five Love Language. And his premise is that everyone experiences love differently. He says there's five ways that people experience love. Some experience it through acts of service, through, through serving them and doing things for them. Others uh, experience it through gifts, by receiving things. Others by physical touch. Some by words. Others by quality time. Mariah and I are quality timers, right? So just getting in a car, no kids, and going to Borger to get groceries, man, we're good, right? We've spent time together. We've been able to be around one another, um, my pastor used to tell the story about how my pastor's a words guy, the guy I worked with forever. And so like you constantly got to be telling him, hey man, you're awesome, right? You're so great. You're amazing. That engine runs on props. That's how he works. And so after he got married, he just spent his time telling his wife, I love you, baby. I love you. You're so awesome. You're so amazing, right? And she would be going, yeah, I know. I know. I know you love me. I get it. And, and she did. And she loved hearing it. But you know what she wanted? She wanted him to get off his rear and go do something. Because she was a service gal. So she was like, hey, when you got up and go do laundry or fold the socks or whatever it is, I feel loved and valued then, okay? And over time, those things change. Some of you men know that, right? Is that, that as Mariah's kind of gone back to work, I know now that, you know, I don't get to stay up here and work through lunch now. I need to go home and clean the kitchen and start laundry and do those kind of things to try to help out because that's part of her love language. So that means if you're a man, and your wife's a quality timer, then sit your rear on the couch and have a conversation with her. If your wife's a service gal, then do a load of laundry, right? Load the dishes, do something, right? If your wife's a physical touchdown, awesome, right? Could you come talk to a couple of us guys after church, right? Because we were like, hey man, that's awesome. You get the jackpot, physical touch, man, all right? Every time I do premarital counseling, when I find one of those, I'm like, hey, congratulations, man. Way to go, right? And listen, loving our wives sacrificially is hard because a lot of times it's not natural for us. So you may be an acts of service person and your wife may be quality time and you have to love her in a way that's unnatural for you. But when you do that, that's a greater expression of love. When it's something you're not naturally good at, that is a greater expression of love. See, too many men are conquerors, right? We want the hunt and, and we want to pursue the woman, but then once we get our prize, we're done. And men don't need to be that way. Men need to be explorers. She's a mystery. It's gonna take a lifetime to figure that out, amen? So start doing it now. So, so honor her emotionally. Listen, third thing, men, honor her verbally. Honor her verbally. So how do you talk about your wife? Let's just say she's not around. When you talk about her, are you mean? Are you cruel? Do you make fun of her? Do you run her down? When you're with your buddies, what does that sound like? See, if you speak ill or sarcastically about your wife, your kids will learn to speak to your wife the exact same way. I promise you, right? I, I've told you these stories before, but, but especially Lincoln, he's learning early on. You don't scream at your mom, you don't yell at your mom, or you're gonna get lit up, 
okay? I have popped him when he didn't know it so many times now, and now he's starting to realize, okay, I better not do that, right? That, that, that's going to end badly for me if I talk to my mom that way. So it means that we speak kindly to our wives. We honor them with what we say. That's huge, right? So we honor them verbally. Listen, the fourth one, honor your wife financially. Honor her financially. So Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 19. This is after the fall. This is God handing out uh, the curses. And he speaks to Adam and he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your lives. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and till dust you shall return. So remember, before the fall came in, God told Adam to work the garden. That work was something that God gave to a man before the fall broke it. And before the fall, it was a good thing. It was something that we find fulfillment in. It was something that was a joy. That because of the fall, though, now work is something that is hard. It's difficult. It's, it's toilsome. Now Jesus has come and he's redeemed work and now that if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus, our work has purpose, right? Because we realize that we're placed where we're at, not just to work, but to make a difference for Jesus, to spread the gospel where we're at. But essentially what that curse means for us as men is that we do not get an option whether or not we work. Your curse, man, is to work. So what it means is that ladies, if you wanna work, then work. That is perfectly fine if you want to go to work. There's nothing wrong with working. So don't leave here and say, Byron said I can't work. No. If you want to work, work. That's fine. Right? My, my wife recently went back to work. It's something she wanted to do. It wasn't like I was at home being like, hey, go to work, woman. She decided she wanted to go to work. And she came to me 11 years ago and said, hey, I want to be home with the kids. Great. Now all the kids are about to be in school. She says, I want to go back to work. Awesome. But men, if she comes to you and says, I don't want to work, I want to stay at home and be mom with the kids, then it's up to you to make that happen. Men don't get an option. It's not if we want to work or, or if we just feel like working. No, we work. So what it means is that, men, we need to steward our money well. So for some of you, that might mean letting your wife do the budget. Some of you have no business handling money. This guy right here. I'm a blast when the personnel committee comes around every year. Like when they start talking to me about money, I'm like, hey, let me go get Mariah to type something up for me so I can show you, you know, where we're at. I, there's nothing wrong with that is that sometimes your wife's better with money. And so part of stewarding that well and honoring her financially is you let her take care of those things. But listen, men, we don't get to not work, right? We don't get to look at our wives and say, hey, I want you to carry my curse for me. And I've gone off on this before, but it still feels like it bears repeating. Stay-at-home dads is the stupidest, most unbiblical thing that has ever come across Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, men, stay at home and, and, and not work. No. It means that you work. One author put it this way. He says, the man's curse was providing for his family. This means that a man will always find it very difficult not to idolize or demonize his work and to do it unto the Lord as an act of worship, which God has chosen to mature and grow him as a man. And what the weakest, most worthless men among us do is say, 
oh, my load is too heavy. I know yours is heavy, but I need you to carry half of mine too. Men, you have to work harder and smarter than the other men if you wanna feed your family, and that is your responsibility. Honor her financially, work. Number five, honor her technologically. So means when you take her on a date, and, and let me just throw this out here. Someone you need to take your wives on a date, it's been too long. Get a babysitter. There's plenty of them in town, right? They don't do anything anymore anyways. They all sit at home and Snapchat each other all night. They love to babysit, I promise. When you go on a date, leave your phone in the car. She's got her phone if they need to get a hold of her for the babysitter. Leave your phone in the car. Talk to your wife. Shut off the computer. Be present. Turn off the TV. All right, you ready for this one? Stop looking at porn. Stop it. 64% of Christian men admit that they look at pornography monthly. 77% of men 18 to 30 look at it at least monthly. Men, it's not real. It's fake. It's messing with your brain and it's robbing your marriage of what it could be. Pay attention to the woman you have, the real live woman you have in your house. Shut down the phone, shut down your vices and honor her. And so here's what it means. Some of you men are looking at porn and you need to get some accountability. You're not going to beat it on your own. I promise you. When, when I was a student pastor in Plains, the kids all got MacBooks. And I can't tell you the number of times every year I'd have at least four or five boys come to me and be like, man, I'm looking at porn. Okay, duh, not surprised. All right, you wanna be done with it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Two things, tell your parents, take it to school tomorrow and tell the computer teacher what you're doing. And I can tell you this, that, that the boys that actually went and did that, they took care of it. The ones that were too embarrassed to go and get help with it, they're still probably looking at it to this day. And so that's what I'm telling you, is that some of you need to get a friend, you need to get another man, and maybe, well, not maybe, you need to admit it to your wife and you need to get this taken care of. Your marriage can never be what it's supposed to be until you finally get out of the dark and tell them what you're doing when they're not around. Stop looking at porn. Honor your wife technologically. Number six, and perhaps the most important, honor your wife spiritually. Look at the back half of chapter, uh, chapter three, verse seven. So he says, let's just read the whole thing. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And then look what he says. Since they are heirs with you, right? Or your translation may say they're co-heirs with you of the grace of life. And then what does he say? So that your prayers may not be hindered. It means you set the tone for your family in worship. It means that worship, church attendance, all of that starts with you men. That Sunday morning worship is a Saturday night decision. That you decide on Saturday night that we'll be in church, all right? Listen, it means that if your kids live in your house, they have no option, they go to church. I was a student pastor for 10 years, and I used to always hear this drivel all the time. Well, I don't want them to hate the church, so I'm not gonna make them go. You don't live like that in any other area of your life. Well, son, you gotta get up and go to school this morning. Well, I hate school, dad. Oh yeah, you're right, you just stay home. I don't want you to hate school, buddy. Well, I, 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 I've got this massive tumor sticking out of the side of my head, dad. Maybe we should do something about that. Well, son, I don't want you to hate doctors, so I'm not gonna take you to the doctor. I, I guess we're just gonna have to live with it. Well, dad, I know I signed up for the football team, but I wanna quit. Quit, what, boy? 
No way, you're finishing, right? You don't live like that in every other area of your life. But for some reason, in the most important area, you go, well, I don't want them to hate church. I'll just, you stay at home, sleep in. No, men, it starts with you, right? You're the one who gets up and takes the family to church. You're the one that prays with kids before bed. You're the one who leads the family in devotions. It is all on you. It says that our wives are heirs with us in Christ, meaning they have equal weight and equal worth to God, that they're valued with God and God has called us to lead them. So men, listen to me. You are the thermostat in your home. You get that, right? You're the thermostat, not the thermometer. You set the temperature in your home. You don't look and see what your wife is doing and go, oh, well, I'll just be the thermometer and go with what she's doing. You're the thermostat. You set the temperature because listen, Who's gonna be held responsible for how they led their homes? You or her? You will. You will be held responsible for how you lead your wives and your family so you honor them. And hear me, this is the most important one. You set the tone spiritually. Ultimately, here's the thing I want you to know as men. As men, you and I, we're called to be tough and tender. Men are called to be tough and tender. We're tough in defending the weak and the oppressed and abused and poor. We're tough and honorable in our business. We're tough with stiff-necked, hard-hearted men that bully others around. We're tough in carving out safety, security, and protection for our families. But then listen, we're tender in confronting the hurting and encouraging the downcast. We're tender with our wives, loving them as Christ loved the church. We're tender with our kids kissing them, telling them we love them, caring for them. Ultimately, men, listen, you and I are to be like Jesus. Jesus was tough enough to go to the cross without shedding a tear, but yet he was tender enough to weep outside of the tomb of his best friend. See, men who are tough without being tender are commonly known as chauvinists. They're jerks. Right? These are the men that when they read about being the head in the, in the Bible of their families, right, that they love that part and they love to lord it over their homes, but then they forget the other parts about repentance and friendship and love and humility. They forget about being like Jesus. They're chauvinists. They're jerks. But then the opposite is also true, is there's a lot of guys who are not tough chauvinists. They're just tender cowards. They're soft. They're amiable. They're weak. And what I would push on you is that I think the bulk of men in America, especially the men in our part of the world, right? We're, we're tough like outside of the church, but we are a bunch of cowards when it comes to how we lead our families and how we spiritually act. We're weak. We're weak. And so the point for you and I as men is this is that we are to be like Jesus. The key to understanding masculinity and leading in our homes is to be like Jesus. Like we've said, Jesus was tough with religious blockheads and false teachers, the proud and the bully. Jesus was tender with women and children and those who were suffering or those who were humble. Jesus took responsibility for himself. Jesus worked a job for the first 30 years of his life swinging a hammer as a carpenter. He took responsibility for us on the cross where he substituted himself and died in our place for our sins. My sins are not Jesus' fault, but he made them his fault. 
Jesus has taken responsibility for me. And this is the essence of the gospel. This is the good news. That if you understand that Jesus has taken responsibility for you, then that changes everything for you and it changes how you view masculinity and it changes how you lead your home. As I said in my prayer at the beginning, so goes the men of the church, so goes the church. And so what I wanna do is this as we close is I just wanna encourage you and I wanna challenge you as men that I think each and every one of us as men have some areas of our lives that we need to repent of where we're not honoring our wives the way that the Bible lays that out. And so what that means for some of you is that first off, you need Jesus. You've never laid down your pride and put your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you. And so today needs to be the day that you grab a friend, you grab Joe or myself and say, hey, I didn't know Jesus, but today after hearing the gospel and what Jesus has done, I need Jesus. Others of us, it might mean that we need to have that hard conversation tonight with our wives. It might mean that we need to just say, honey, I'm sorry, and then just start listing off all the ways that you've just been a complete jerk, whatever it is, right? Some of us, it just might mean that we need to repent this morning of the fact that we're not leading our homes spiritually the way we need to, and then we need to do that. Well, I don't know how, Byron. Well, it's a good thing you've got pastors, you've got Sunday school teachers, you've got others in this church that would love to come alongside you and help you and give you the tools and the resources and help you grow in that area so that you can do those things. Ultimately, we all need to look to Jesus, right? Jesus did what we could not do. We all fall short as wives, we fall short as husbands, and we ultimately need the, 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 the forgiveness and the mercy that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. I thank you for our men in this church. Father, we do have some great men in this church. And Father, we all as men have areas of our lives where, um, Father, we need to repent. There's all, all of us have areas where we could honor our wives better. We have areas where we could lead our families better. And so I pray today that as men, we would do that. That we would step up to the plate and, and realize what it is that you've called us to do. That we would feel the weight and the responsibility on our shoulders as we lead here of what you've placed on us. But I pray that, that not one of us as men would leave here today hanging our heads, but instead we would lift our heads and look to Jesus and realize that we all fall short, but he never did that Jesus was the man that we were supposed to be, that Jesus did what we could not do. And so when we fall short, as we sang about in, earlier, is that although our sins may be many, his mercy is more. And that there's mercy and grace for each and every one of us mid in this room today. And that instead of looking at ourselves and all the way that we failed, that today that we would turn our eyes and look to Jesus and look at all the ways that he was perfect for us and that we would allow that message to be the thing to shape us and change us so that we can leave here and better lead our homes and lead our churches. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've given us. Thank you for men. Thank you for the men in this church. I pray that they be challenged, challenged today. And it's in your name we pray, amen. If you would please stand this morning.